Well, get comfortable if you need to take your socks and shoes off. I've been sitting on this sermon for three weeks. So uh, I got a lot to say, but I got to fit it in in such a short period of time that maybe we can, you guys can just be gracious to me and give me as much time as I want. Uh, I won't do that to you. It is Father's Day. And because it is Father's Day, fathers, I do have a, a specific word that I feel that the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, and it comes to you here at the end of the sermon But uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 8. One of the things I love and one of the things that my ministry is about is about sharing the gospel. Uh, You know, I might do administrative work. I might do certain things like dress up as characters of VBS. But the most important thing that I want my ministry to be about is about the gospel. In the gospel, in the Bible, it gives us everything we need to know about our God, what he has done for us, how we can know him, and how we can follow him. And it's just a great reminder each and every time we dive into it. And so we find ourselves here, we've been going through the gospel of John, but now we find ourselves in the gospel of Luke with the specific message that I want to define my whole ministry about, what I would lead everybody here at Harvest Point to be all about. And that is, Jesus is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and that Jesus can set you free. Now, we're going to dive into this chapter, and I'm going to spell all that out for you. But before we do, let me just kind of frame what Luke is trying to do. In chapter 8, Luke is trying to present to his readers the Lord of all things. He talks about how uh, Jesus and his disciples get into this boat, and he demonstrates through, by way of story, how Jesus is Lord over nature. And as his disciples are freaking out because a storm is raging on the seas, and they are thinking that they are going to perish and die. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they go and wake up Jesus. Jesus wakes up, he rebukes the storm, and it becomes silent, it becomes still. Then all of a sudden, we're going to find ourselves that the moment that Jesus steps foot on the, the land to which they were journeying to, his authority beckons even evil spirits to come. And that's a story we're going to look at today, and we're going to see that Jesus is Lord over the supernatural. So there's really nothing that Jesus isn't Lord over. What more is there than nature and supernatural? But the question that I'm going to pose to you, and one that you might have to wrestle with today, is is Jesus Lord over, over you? Is Jesus truly your master and your Lord? Has Jesus truly set you free? You might experience today and realize by the way of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of God's word, that you might find that there are sin and demons in your life that you're not even aware of. Maybe you are aware of your own sin and the demons, but you do not know how to be free of them. Or maybe you know how to be free, but you remain dormant, exercising your freedom to do nothing. You'll be confronted with this today, and I hope you take it serious. Because by the end, you'll have one question to answer. What business do you have with me? O Son of God. So without further, to, uh, without further ado, I present to you Jesus the Christ in chapter 8. Let's read, beginning in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when, they, when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from a city who was possessed with demons and who had not put any clothing on for a very long time. And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, 
What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For I had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break those bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they were imploring him to not command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw that what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the, into the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they all became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him, Jesus, to leave. For they were gripped with great fear. And he got into the boat and he returned, Jesus that is. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This is a great story that shows Jesus' authority and lordship over all of creation, the natural and the supernatural. What we have is a story about a demon-possessed man. Not just one demon, but some 2,000. We get that from the other gospel accounts, that there were some 2,000 demons, which he refers to as legion in this story. Now, Luke does something very interesting here. One, pay attention to the fact that Luke makes mention specifically of how Jesus stepped foot on land. And immediately, the man possessed by the demons came up to him and declared, what business do you have, do we have with each other? Son of the Most High God. Now, there's also another element of this story that you need to understand what Luke is trying to do. You see, they were just, uh, they crossed the Sea of Galilee. They left one side to go to another side. Nobody knows what for, but Jesus does know. And Luke riddles the story with everything that's unclean about it. Notice, this man is possessed by demons, unclean spirits. He's living among the dead in the tombs. That would make you unclean. There are herds of swine, which is not notable as an unclean animal. Everything about this scene is completely unclean. And so the point here from the get-go is that no matter where you find yourself, no matter how unclean your life has been, no matter how much riddled of sin your life has been man made manifest, if you are unclean, then you should turn your ear and tune in to see what Jesus the King could do in your life. Because you may not be naked and in a tomb living out your life, 
but I guarantee you are living in some sort of sin and you are being influenced easily by the demonic in your life. And without Jesus, you are powerless. Now, you might be saying to me, well, Bruce, uh, I mean, I'm demon possession, dude. Like, okay, I get this. This is an old story. We don't really experience that much anymore. Well, let me just remind you what God himself testifies and says to you concerning this reality of the spiritual realm and its influence and its impact upon your life. I want to sober you up for a second as one who can testify to being susceptible to the lies of Satan. I have whispers even this week that wanted to prevent me to come to declare to you that Jesus is Lord of all. Because those whispers, man, they reminded me of all the failures I've committed in my life. They reminded me of how unworthy I am to speak before you as some kind of representative. My life is a reflection not that I'm a representative, but only that Christ has saved me. And so if I, in all of my sin and all the things and all my past failures, can stand before you to declare God and Jesus and his excellencies, but yet I have a whisper constantly that seeks to influence me, I bet all of us experience that, and some of us are blind to it. Let's testify. What does God testify to this? That the, this is what he says about the nature of Satan and his demons. John 8, uh, verse 44. That the devil is a father of lies. He is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he lies. He speaks for, out of his own nature. He is a liar. And he is a father of lies. 1 Peter 5.8, what does the apostle Peter say about this? That, that the desire for Satan is to seek, kill, and destroy. He says in 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you get that? Right now you might feel like you're comfortable and nothing is happening in your life, but I guarantee like a lion who's just waiting for that fawn to take a drink from the lake so he can just grab their neck and bring them down and feast upon them, you too are susceptible and he is looking to destroy your life because he hates God. Oh, he has to submit to him but he despises God and all of his creation. And you're going to see that in this story here in a moment. But let's continue on. What does John again say? He says that the works of Satan are still will cause more sin and more chaos. That's his whole aim. And that's how he works. In 1 John 3, 8, he says, The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, which is sin. Then we learn that <clears throat> Satan has great influence, and he's, he's seeking to cause devastation. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2, listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses of sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. If you see disobedience, you should see the spirit of Satan working and influencing the sons of disobedience. But then Jesus saves those and makes them sons of the living God, working out obedience in their life. And we are at war, Paul tells us. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I think this is extremely profound. It might help even some of our marriages. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world of forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you catch that? We might be at odds with one another. I might offend you. You might offend me. We might have arguments and disagreements. But our beef should not be with each other. It should be with this guy, the Satan, who seeks to influence us. That's what Paul is saying. That's where the war is. Not with our friends, not with our families, but what lies behind. Acts 26, 18 says this about Satan's domain and dominion. Open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus. We are told by Luke again in the book of Acts that darkness is his domain. And that's where he would have you. What about the story we just read? Is not the man outside of the community, shackled and chained up, living among the dead, hasn't been home, he's naked, which means he's full of shame, right? That's where the demons have left him. That's where the demons have persuaded him. That's where they have influenced him. And nobody can save him. Nobody can even restrain him until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords steps out of the boat and then it's come running to him. What business do you have with us, O Son of Man, Son of God? You have to understand that you may not be living among the dead, that you may not be shamed by being walking around naked or maybe even chained to a fence, but there is no doubt in your life the fact that you are being sought by an enemy to influence you to live in darkness, to deceive you with lies, to distract you from the real war and make your friends become enemies, who wants to keep you from others and especially God, will help you fund your sinful nature with all of the justification you need to continue in it, to relish in your sin rather than to repent of it. Anyone who continues in sin, who is easily influenced by the lies of Satan, who isn't engaged in fighting off Satan, is completely in his domain and it is in great need to be set free. The demonic is like a biting insect. They inject their deception by way of lies to influence you to respond and scratch the itch which you should just leave alone. But if they can make you itch it, they can cause you to scratch with, with all the time until open sores begin to shape and irritate your life. While you're itching one bite, they'll bite again and again in different places. And if you keep chasing the itch, the whole body will soon be one open sore. Now that should sober anybody up. Maybe right now you're saying, like, yeah, I've been, le I believe been believing some lies. I think there might be some influence that I'm experiencing. 
I continue to live in my sin, and I really don't want to be separated from it. I feel like I could justify it. You might be saying these things. And then maybe you might even feel like this is too overwhelming. Then who, who can escape such dominion and darkness? Let me present to you a champion, a Lord, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the actions of Christ in the story. He's in his ministry mode. He's walking around with his posse, his entourage of disciples. He's teaching them. He's declaring the kingdom of God. And he's going to make a detour all the way across the sea for one man possessed by demons. Then he's going to go right back. You know what that tells us? Jesus will come all the way down from heaven, all the way into the deep recesses of your life just to set you free. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's what he will accomplish. Because notice, the demons submit to him and have to ask permission. You know what I find funny about this narrative? Is the fact that they're tormenting man, right? What do we know about humanity? It reflects and images God himself. We were created. Let us create man in our own image, God says in Genesis. So here you have an image bearer of Jesus himself being tormented, scratched, bruised, broken, tortured, out of his mind. And the demons want to plead with Jesus and say, hey, please have mercy on us. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to have mercy. And they know he won't because they plead with him not to send them to the abyss, which is the end for them where they were experienced and be melted away by the wrath of God, where God's justice will be found on all that is evil. And so what do they ask of him? And I think this is awful. I've got to speculate in this part of the text. In this story, they ask not to be sent to the abyss, but then Luke draws the reader's attention to the herd of swine up on the hill. And the demons asked... Jesus, send us into them. Don't you find this interesting? Maybe I'm the only one that finds this interesting. But any time that the demonic wants to ask permission for something, they cannot be up to anything good. Would you agree with that? If they are all evil and they hate God and they want to live in darkness and continue and bring chaos into people's lives, then I would be paying attention to the fact that the demons asked to go into the swine. And what did Jesus do? Do you think Jesus is oblivious to their schemes? I don't think so. I think he completely knows what's going on, but it doesn't stop him. He gives them permission. And later on in the story, we find out why it was so significant that they go into the swine. Because on this side of the sea, with these uncleaned animals, they are being herded. This is their livelihood. This is where the community gets their cash from. By herding the unclean. That's what is happening. And Jesus says, okay, go. And then the demons go into the herd and they drown them into the lake. Here's another point. The demon does not choose sides. He hates it all, all of God's creation. If they are willing to strangle and drown even unclean animals, how much more would they desire to do to the very image bearers of God if you think you are not being sought after? 
you are blinded. And I hope to shed some light for you today. So we, uh, we know through Jesus' interaction what is taking place with the demons, right? He, he knows that we, we know that the demons have to submit. They have to ask for permission. We know that demons even pray to him or plead to him, right? That they come and bow down and with a loud voice and say, what business do you have with us, son of the most high God? You see, it's also funny that the very thing that they have to do in the presence of Jesus, they will prevent you from doing and even going to Jesus, even worshiping. They don't want you to pray, but they have to. They don't want you to worship, but they will. They get you to do the very thing that they aren't able to do. But Jesus is the opposite. That's how you could distinguish something. Jesus does not tell you to do anything in your life that he has not already done. He calls you to suffer because he suffered. He showed us a better way. He showed us how to maintain dignity, love, and respect, and obedience, even to the point of death. So if he's asking you to suffer in your life, just know that he is not asking you to do something that he hasn't already done himself. That's how you can determine the difference between Christ and the spirit influence in your life and the demonic. This is a lesson for us that we all are made powerless, but Jesus is powerful. You need Jesus to break the strongholds in your life. And then he gives you his Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life just like he did. Those who strive to break their addictions or the sins that they are slave to in their own strength will never ultimately break free. But if you call on Jesus, even right now, and place your faith in him, he will set you free. And when Jesus does something, there is not something. It, it is done completely. It is not, there's not anything left undone. He has set you free, indeed, complete freeness. If you place your faith in him. And if he can set a naked, crazy guy living in a graveyard, you know that he can jailbreak you from any of your sins and the demons that haunt you. But you must come to him in faith and not of your own strength. In this story, we're given two responses. We're given what the Gospels refer to as the demoniac, the guy possessed by 2,000 demons, right? And what is his response? All we know that Jesus sets him free, and then the next thing we know, he's sitting at Jesus' feet. Remember those same feet that plopped onto the ground and beckoned the unclean to come? And now this guy voluntarily sits at the feet of Jesus and says, rule over me. And he's in his right mind. He's clothed. People are witnessing this change. And his response to Jesus is he begs them, let me go with you. Let me follow you. Let me be with you. I don't want to spend one day without you. I don't want to do one thing without you. I want to be with you. The demons removed him from his home. Jesus sent him back home. 
Jesus can do that. For a guy we would all agree is probably in a different situation than us, or a little bit more extreme situation than us, then how much more can he do it for you? How much more can he send you back home in your right mind? How much more can he order your life rightly? How much more can he save you from your sins, all your past failures, all your present failures? Oh, he can do it. This is what Luke is telling you. He's Lord over it all. You place your faith in him, he sets you free. And you are free indeed. Or maybe, maybe you're like the Gerasenes. Isn't their response to all this really extreme and weird? I mean, the guy who's been influenced and tortured and tormented by demons, Jesus sets free. And instead of the people saying, oh, we can be free, they say, we want Jesus to flee. We want Jesus, we know. They, they become welled up with fear. And I think that's the scheme. The demons knew the community. The demons knew what was in the hearts of those people. And so they were trying to trick Jesus into getting them to send into their livelihood and then then they would destroy their livelihood, blame Jesus, and reject him. Jesus isn't scared, nor uh, does he need to pivot on somebody's poor scheming. He says, okay, go, watch. Whatever you have for evil, I will turn to good. Because even though Jesus leaves into the boat and goes... He left behind one completely changed to live among them and to declare to them every single day as a reminder, a constant reminder of what Jesus can do in their lives. See, the people loved their livelihood. They loved the uncleanness of what they were doing and they have no time for Jesus. No, I'm good, Jesus. Now get out of here. I don't want to be set free. I don't want to change. Maybe you know somebody who loves to cling to their sin. They love it so much. And just do a little litmus test with your own self. If Jesus were to come straight up into your face and says, okay, here's some things you've got to get rid of in your life so that your life can be right, so you can be of right mind in good relationships with everybody around you, here's what you have to get up. What, what things are you going to be nervous that he's going to say to you? What are you going to be nervous about him asking you to do? Those are probably the things that you'd like to keep and you want to hold on to. There's those two responses. And I think there's a life lesson there. That the Gerasenes, that they reject and ask Jesus to go away rather than having Jesus set them free. They love their sin more than they love Jesus, even though he offers them the same thing they're all looking for. We're all wanting to be free. The greatest deception that is whispered into our ears by unclean spirits is that your sins and vices can bring some freedom into your life. That you are fine. You just need to work a little harder. And you'll be a little better. That you don't need Jesus, really. But if you were to see where you are in life with the eyes of faith, you would see that you are open 
exposed and living among the dead and being influenced by those who hate God. If you have been rejecting Jesus and unwilling to give your life up to be set free, know you are being deceived. And this might be and appear obvious to us in the text, but let me give you a little modern day warfare, how this might manifest itself today. And because it's Father's Day, allow this example to speak to the men. A man all alone, instead of naked, dressed in business casual. Instead, uh, he's home. He's not, instead of being at home, he's in the office. Instead of being chained, he's chasing the clock, putting in his time, earning all the cash. All this seems well and good at first, but his work ethic has diminished his spiritual ethic of leading his family in prayer and devotion to God. His marriage is pretty standard with no real issues, at least no issues to get counseling on. His kids are decent students and involved in things that should develop their resumes for college. They don't know much about God, who God is, and they're not really invested in listening to their parents on spiritual matters, namely because they don't have a witness by their parents putting God first. So why should they? Church is optional at best. I would argue that if any of these things seem to reflect what has taken place in your life, then Satan has influenced you to some extent. He has influenced you to diminish the role of God in your life by keeping you busy, distracted, and very comfortable. I would say it would be the most obvious if you were chained up, living among the tombs and naked, and demon-possessed. But he would rather influence you by making you comfortably numb. Then he can influence your whole entire life without you being even understanding or even seeing it. See, he is in the game of blindness, not clarity. And while I'm on the men, it's Father's Day. And I do believe, both theologically and biblically, that men, we have a very important role in this world. We were created for such. And because we were created with intent by God himself to represent God and his headship and his leadership in society and in the world and in our families, Satan has a particular interest in you. You need to be aware of this. You can already begin to observe it in our culture. As we have seen, Satan and his demons understand God's commands and order, but they seek to create chaos rather than order. They seek darkness rather than the light. God has placed you in his creation as head over your families, like Christ is head over the church. That comes from scripture. Since you are given this mandate by God to lead your families, Satan has a particular interest and is investing in seeing you and your leadership banished and ruined. He would have you silenced in your home. He would have your influence on your family discredited by your past sins you have committed in your life and shame you into never leading. He would have you preoccupied by anything just to keep you from doing what you were created to do, which is to lead others to worship God. He would rather make you inactive, sitting in a recliner, zoned out on ESPN or Fox News than reading God's word to your family and teaching them God's ways. I have listened and I have watched 
as society and cultural movements advance the devil's schemes against men, deceiving others to identify men as failures and wrongly wielding their power of authority and leadership. Because of this, we hide ourselves in our work because nobody will have a problem with us if we just keep bankrolling them. So you remain silent. So you won't be accused of being too masculine or abusive. You hide your sin in fear that what others think and say about you might be valid and that you are a failure. But God has made you his agent to lead in your homes and in the world. Don't cower to anything less. Be the kind of man that God intended you to be when he created man, to lead his creatures and creation in right order and to worship and reflect the one true God. What your wife needs is the love of Christ, and you are God's agent to deliver it. What your daughters need is the image of a good father who loves them, protects them, and gives them a vision of who they should marry. What your boy needs is a leader who points him to Christ and makes, them, makes him ready as a warrior of the kingdom of Christ against the kingdom of darkness. As a father, you are God's agent. Your community needs you as one to offer leadership and guidance that points to God and his wisdom and one who is willing to accomplish the task no matter how hard or difficult the opposition may be. You are God's agent for this. This is why you were made man. This is why Joshua and King David declare, be strong and show yourself a man. Not just any man, God's man. The agent who leads others to Christ and in Christ. Men, don't be cast so easily aside by your failures and past sins. Christ has cleansed you from them and has established you as a good man again. That you might live out your days for God's glory. Men, you are not toxic. That is a lie seeking to diminish your influence. You are not the sum of past mistakes or present sins. Your sum lies in Jesus the Christ. All who were created for and employed... All you were created for and employed to do is to make Jesus famous and to model Jesus for your area of influence, namely your family, wherever you walk, that your influence is. That's what you're meant to do. If you don't know how to be this man, consider then your champion, Jesus, who wields his strength in serving others, who ventured into darkness to expose it with light, who never compromised or give, gives up his purpose, even if it cost him his life, who isn't led away by temptation, who doesn't tolerate sin, but encourages others to go and sin no more. Through one man, Adam, all were made sin. Now through the Son of Man, Jesus, all can be made righteous. What man will you be like, Adam or Jesus? If it be Jesus, then everything you do, including your inactivity, matters. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Confess your sins to Jesus and he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And as Paul says in Romans, listen closely, listen to this. I speak it. If King Jesus says this, it is true. 
There is now no condemnation for anything in your life that you've done in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. People might condemn you for your failures and your sins, but Jesus says, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in me. If it's good enough for King Jesus, it should be good enough for you, it should be good enough for the world. No condemnation. So live as men set free from sin. Don't be a slave to it, but be lured over by Jesus himself as he makes you the man you were created to be. Confess your sins to one another so you can find healing, James says. Don't keep your sins closed. Confess them. I've experienced great healing. Oh, it's scary. It's scary to have to tell people what you've done. It's scary that even when I didn't want to have to tell people what I've done, they found out all the, all the while. It's hard. But what I've discovered is when your sins can be Googled, when your community knows exactly where you fail, you're in prime position just to declare what Jesus begins to do in your life. There's nowhere else to go. I stand before you not proclaiming my word or my actions like I've been able to build my own life. I've only ruined it. But I stand before you declaring Jesus' message and the work that he gives in your life. I'm really not worthy to be up here. But I promised Jesus, like this demoniac, if you send me to people that are enslaved to sin and easily influenced by the demonic, I will tell them about you and how you set them free. And I will give them an example to say, look at me. I have ruined my life. You can Google my sins. All I have to do is present and say, Bruce is a guy that is invalid, but Jesus makes my life what it is now. Not my own works, but he working through me. Changes. You want change in your life today? You can have it. Not tomorrow. I mean, right now. You could be set free from even the sins that you did this morning. The crazy, dark sins you might have done earlier this week. Completely set free. If you're set free, then you are free indeed. So what I'm offering you this morning, in the name of Jesus, is complete and utter freedom. To be set free. Jesus right now has already put his foot down to set you free from sin and the influences of Satan. Do you believe this? Do you trust this? You can either submit yourself to the Son of the Most High God or you can reject him and ask him to leave. Either you want Jesus to cleanse you of sin or you want to continue in your sins. This freedom begins and can begin right now. And you'll continue to grow in this freedom. You'll experience that freedom you initially get, but Jesus, by his, the moment you believe in Jesus to set you free, he sets you free, and then he fills you with his spirit to guide you the rest of the way in freedom. And then he also gives you his bride to help walk alongside you in freedom. Jesus equips you with everything you need to pursue the life of godliness of finally living out as you were created to be in the first place.
Jesus is Lord of all. Remember the question that I, I told you that you would be confronted with today. Jesus is, without a doubt, Lord and Master over all of creation, over all of nature, and even the supernatural. But the question is, for you this morning, is Jesus truly Lord of your life? And in closing, I just, I really want to hammer this through. We see something I find is very difficult because I've experienced it in my own life. You know what's difficult for me is that he sends that demon-possessed guy who's been set free back to his hometown. What do you think those people in that hometown think of that guy? That he's still crazy. They, they know that Jesus did this to him, but they are going to impose upon him everything he's did as demon-possessed. But Jesus, that doesn't influence Jesus. Jesus still says, go and declare my greatness and all that I've done for you. I can imagine having to go to my hometown, those places where they know my failures. And only by the spirit of Christ can I be bold and proclaim to them the work that Christ has done for me. So this should tell us a couple things. Those people that you find that are just a waste of your time, there's no hope for them. There's always hope. And even though others might lord over you, your failures, your sins, your past, Jesus doesn't do so. Jesus gives you a hope and a future. So when Satan and people bring up your past, you bring up Satan's future in the abyss. And you bring and you point to the future that you have in Christ for those who might judge. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I thank you that you are willing to take the extra step and advance yourself towards us who are riddled in sin and uncleanness, who are being dominated by darkness, just so you can rescue us and set us free. And I pray, as you know the hearts and the intentions and the minds of everyone here this morning, I pray that those who are even being spoken to right now, that all their sins are being confronted in their mind and in their heart, that, that Jesus, that you would set them free and said, there is now no condemnation if you believe in me. If you are in Jesus Christ, Father, Jesus and Holy Spirit, set them free, and they will be free indeed. May you be Lord and Master of each and every one of our lives. May we do everything for you. May we pursue you above all things. And may you reveal to us that not only do you set us free, you set us free to be active in your kingdom and to go and declare to others your greatness. Reveal to us the business you have with us, O Son of the Most High God. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.